2: Are deep, deep into the offseason player development going on for Penn State football right now. They are in the dark days of winter conditioning and getting ready for 2024. So we're into my, I think, my favorite time of the year, which is discussion season you know, we'll take some topics. We'll take the blue white illustrated mailbag, some of the conversations, some of the things that, uh, fits and, and Nate Bauer, who's going to be joining us in just a little bit, wrote over blue, white, com. We're having conversations about all of that stuff. I'm very excited for this show. I think this is going to be a really good one. we got some good questions in the mailbag for later, but the thing that is active news, which is a lot of what we do at blue, white, com, is talk about the things that are important to you, the things that are important to, uh, Penn State football in recruiting. And of course, Fitz is, uh, the premier name in Penn State football recruiting. He and Ryan Snyder are the best in the business. And we're going to talk about Junior Day to start the show. So Fitz, a busy weekend for the Nittany Lions. They get a commitment on Sunday afternoon. We talked about that in our breaking news video uh, with myself and and Ryan. What is your opinion? What's your reaction to Owen Alicini committing to Penn State?
1: Yeah, it's a good pickup early. This is a guy I saw at camp last year. Big kid, just uh, Penn, Penn State's uh, transition from what they had on the offensive line a few years ago to where they're at right now in terms of just sheer size is pretty amazing. Because every once in a while, you had you know you had a Sterling Jenkins come through that was you know a different uh, otherworldly in terms of size, but for the most yep. part, you know it was one of the uh, the the middle of the offensive lines in the Big Ten. Um, they've gotten bigger at every spot, which has turned into. They've actually got tackles playing tackle now. They've actually got, you know, I, I said it last week. A guy like Michael Carroll, um, who is, you know, a six-five and a half, like big kid, but mm-hmm. a natural guard. You can see the guardness of him. Dick uh, right would have been a to tackle bottom. five years ago, six yeah. years ago, something like that. So now that you can play your tackles and tackle spots, you know, you've got some. I don't want to call it flexibility, but you've got some standard there that uh, that works out. So um, Owen fits that bill. Um, he's uh, you got a question already. Wow. Yeah,
2: I just so I think that this is a conversation <laughs> about um, intentionality because I, you wouldn't say that Penn State would turn down a pure tackle six or seven years ago. But with Phil Troutwine, and it seems like this is an intentional turn towards we're going to find guys with length and we're going to target those guys specifically and maybe de- not de-emphasize, we won't take the guys that have tackle guard versatility, but we are going to make sure we get tackles. Like, Is that fair or is this just the the natural progression of offensive line recruiting improving so that those pure tackles are actually interested in your
0: program?
1: They, they've always tried they I mean okay. they, they've tried to do that you you look you, you even look back at uh you know when Franklin got here in 2014 they brought in like guys like chance Sorrell, Brendan Brosnan so bigger guys you know six six but you know all, also had the length I mean that was one of the things and it might have been his introductory press conference it might have been a little a short time in but you look at the growth features the big hands the long arms the big head I think of Michael and Wenu that uh went to Michigan I think he's now with the the uh, the Patriots. That that kid was 360 pounds, but you look at him and you thought he was 320. Like the, the the type of guys that are like that. Anthony Dunk is one of those guys. We're gonna talk about him in a little bit, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's always been the focus. I think they're just more successful with it. I think Phil Troutwine's done a heck of a job with that. Um, Alicine is uh, six seven and a half, pushing six eight. Maybe 275. I mean, he's got plenty of room to to grow on that. It's got pretty pretty good length as well. So that's kind of been the um that's kind of been the standard for what they're looking at. And you look at last class with Garrett Sexton, uh, especially Egan Boyer. I mean, Egan Boyer is a project in every sense of the word, and if he tops out, hey man, that kid's gonna yeah. be really good. But he's also 6'8, 250. So there's a long time before that can happen, and so many things can happen uh between now and then. So you recruit as many of those guys as you can get um you saw it uh you know around the pandemic recruiting I and mean, that one class that they brought in uh what Landon Tengwall and Nate Bruce because they struck out on a bunch of tackles like they're not yeah. striking out as much and i think there's been more in the region that are like uh presentable in terms of uh to ta- actual tackle prospects there's been guys in state i mean Cooper Cousins is a guy that fits that mold like in that uh in that size mold um but there again you don't have to you don't have to play him at tackle and i think that's probably the best compliment that you can give the job that Phil Troutman has done is you're bringing in guys or you're you know probably going to get guys that can project at tackle but you don't have to play them there and and tackle's a more valuable spot i mean, that's not just us spinning our wheels here that's like looking at nfl right. contracts i mean it would be awesome if cooper cousins was a four year starter at center three year starter at center whatever what have you but like his value at center is one thing his value as a player as a prospect as a Selling point for everybody else is an offensive tackle. I mean, Olu is what he is. Like he was fantastic. He's going to be a top 10 draft pick. And uh, that's like, that's where the value is. So you see them going in that direction. And, and the fact that they've hit on a couple of those guys is, I think a really good uh, jumping off point. Uh, Now, it's all a crapshoot. Like looking at offensive linemen, like you look back a couple of years and you didn't think this guy would be that, or you thought this guy would be a a, a superstar or anything like that. But I mean, it's, it's, it's complete crapshoot and that's not just rating services. That's coaches. That's NFL scouts that still get it right or or still get it wrong. Half the time. Like that is what we're looking at in terms of offensive lineman evaluation, which is probably why you take five or six every cycle.
2: Yeah. And, and why you want as many guys as you have with those tools so that if they develop and, you know, a guy uh, had a conversation about Anthony Donko and where he started to where he is. And it wasn't always a lock that he would be a tackle. And we're going to we're talking about like that this offseason. So all of those things, I think, absolutely right of having all of the, the tools to start with are great. And then uh, the development has to happen. So, you know, you never know who's going to kind of take that next step. Uh, some other thoughts, though, from uh, Junior Day. You got a couple other things I know that you want to talk about here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a, a good weekend with the one commit. We probably would have set that under, over under about one and a half, except Alex Tash was the guy that we thought that would commit. And he uh, he came out of the weekend uncommitted. I think he's going to check out more schools, which, you know, a guy that just got into the recruiting process in the fall, um, going to you know, th- there are some others. I think he just picked up some more offers yesterday. So, like – it's a situation where it's still really early, and I'm going to bang that drum as long as I can, it's still really early in the 2025 class. So Penn State getting one commit out of this weekend, about as expected, even if it wasn't the uh, the guy that probably was, had the lead in the clubhouse heading into junior day this weekend. Uh, the one that caught my eye, Andrew Olish, uh, the tight end from Southern Lehigh. I've been talking about him for a long, long time. Um, it's really good when that happens, because it makes you right. You know, (laughs) that I've been banging (laughs) the drum on this kid for a while (laughs) since uh, seeing him at camp last year. And, but the way the Penn state recruits tight ends, Hey, it's tough to get an offer as a, as a tight end. Uh, They, they offered him uh, this weekend after seeing him in person, they know what kind of athlete he is and the kind of athlete that he is fits in that room. And that is an incredible compliment uh, to him and to that room, because those guys are some, some different otherworldly type athletes. When you're talking about a six, five guy that can run a four, two shuttle, like that doesn't happen. That's not normal. Uh, It should not be the standard, Um, but uh, you've got that kind of athleticism. You can bring those guys along, especially when you've got the guys in front of them that you don't have to play right away. And when we saw that with Andrew Rappelier this year, like that's a guy I'm really excited. We're going to, so I'm getting ahead of myself here in the mailbag here, but really excited to see Andrew Rappelier this year as, as a redshirt freshman. Yeah. He didn't have to play this year because of Theo, because of Tyler Warren, because of Khalil Dinkins. So all of a sudden you've got a, a situation where you can bring those guys along at this pace. And if you're bringing in a tight end, that's uh, like a, like an Olish, like a Joey Schlaffer that's going to take a year to build him up. Like you've got time to do that. And I think that's a, that's a pleasant, uh, pleasant sign right there. A um, couple other guys from Maryland, uh, Ivan Kamaju, probably said that wrong, but uh, very impressive kid. Um, look, You look at this guy, six, three and a half 235, probably going to be an interior guy, um, maybe along that DeAndre Cook track, but maybe just a little bit bigger at this point. Like DeAndre Cook was about 250 last year, Kamaju mm-hmm. um, about 235 right now. And when I say bigger, I mean length, I mean just like in general frame. So you're yeah. seeing a guy that's six, three and a half 235, and you're thinking he's a defensive end. Not necessarily. He could play on the interior at the next level because of the, those growth features that we talked about a little bit ago. And a mea culpa uh, on Aiden White. Penn State did offer this week. I said I said they would offer um, or they might offer. Um, they did offer. Um, and I'm curious to see how hard they push um, because this is a guy that has grown since the last time he was on campus. Really good player at a program that they have a very good relationship. James Franklin was at Quince Orchard yesterday. Of course, they signed Jalen Harvey. And Xavier Gilliam out of Quince Orchard uh, this weekend, so uh, that's a name to watch there as he's continued to grow. Like I said, I it, w- had a tough time seeing him and Xavier Thomas in the same class, but um, you know, he, this is a kid that's taller than Kalen King, you know, Johnny Dixon size. Uh, so he's got that that he's he's not five nine anymore. So <laughs> that's uh that's a good thing for Aiden White. But uh, yeah, check out our stuff on the site, Blue Edelstrand. Ryan did a phenomenal job um, in terms of tracking kids down. Um, we've got notes, we've got all this kind of other stuff that uh, that is coming out of the weekend. And guess what? There's another one this weekend. So we'll be back to talk about that on Thursday. Yeah,
2: we'll preview that coming up on the Thursday show. Tomorrow, we're talking about some of the things uh you know that I wrote about last week at bluewhiteillustrated.com so a quick preview of the week there and as Fitz said join us over at bluewhiteillustrated.com a great place by the way to get into the BWI mailbag we have a mailbag thread where I ask for questions we got a lot this week so if you're here in the chat we want to hear from you as well drop your comments and questions in but we'll be getting to a lot of those from there and the best way to do that is to sign up for bluewhiteillustrated.com two months for a dollar you get an extended month of a tryout period for what we do use code PSU1 that is a YouTube exclusive and podcast podcast exclusive uh, deal for you here. Use put code PSU1 to get in on the action at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Uh, we're going to be talking about deny Dennis Sutton here in just one second, and Nate Bauer wrote about him uh, yesterday. A great article. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a second, but one thing I can tell you about deny is that he trains with Bruce Lombard at Lombard MMA. MMA FX. It is a video program that can teach you how to use your hands like an all Big Ten defensive tackle and uh, NFL defensive lineman. Bruce Lombard of Lombard MMA down here in State College has put together this video program to take you through all the different uh, techniques he's created in conjunction with football players, of how to use your hands properly. This is a defensive line, linebacker, receiver uh, specific video skill set that you can learn and teach your football program or your son. Talking about some other guys that I know have the video set that told us here on the show uh, Liam Andrews' dad, one of Penn State's best defensive linemen. He got the video set for Liam for, I believe it was a Christmas present. So this is something that you should take seriously if you have a son that is serious about the next level or just wants to be great at football. Professional videography, which you saw there on the YouTube channel, including different technical angles, slow motion, visual details, so you're getting it right. You don't have to be the expert. Bruce is there to coach you as well throughout the program. Hand fighting program used by all the top programs in college football and NFL teams as well. Be the best hand fighter on the field because every split second counts and you need every split second so you can check that out and get a discount on it 15 bwi 15 percent off at lombardmma.com backslash shop that's use the promo code 15 bwi to let him know he's coming here from the youtube and podcast lombardmma.com backslash shop is your place to go nate One of the things I love about what uh, was in your article talking uh, to deny is his commitment to details and to work and to putting in the time to get it right. So that's my transition into your conversation with deny. What did you learn when you spoke to him
0: last month? Stop it. T Frank, you just liked it that he said you were right. That's what you liked (laughs) that. He said his pad (laughs) level was too high. I just, I (laughs) can. I can sense from a mile away when you get satisfaction out of that
2: fit. If it uh, said it earlier, being
0: right is great. So it's yeah. Great. Yeah. It's, it's nice. No, nice. I <laughs> yeah. um, nah, just look, he's, he's, he doesn't get too far ahead of himself. Right. He, he doesn't. Uh, it, it was funny. Somebody asked him about, you know, this being your moment, right. You, you know, you've been with chop, you've been with Adisa and, and now it's all going to turn to you. And he, more or less, I'm paraphrasing, but he just said, this is just, this is just the next step. This is just the, like, I'm literally just taking a step forward. It's not this huge gap that, you, right? You don't, yeah, uh, Olu said it last year. I, I just, I love these guys that, that think like this because that's life, right? And so they have a grasp on what life is early in the process to be able to say, hey, uh, I am not going to wake up tomorrow and my life will be different. I will become a different player based on just two other guys going to the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. Those guys go to the NFL. And so I'm going to wake up and become an NFL player. No, I, there's still work to be done. There's still, there's still progress to be made. Uh, and, and he's just such a mature kid. He's so impressive. And yeah, it was, it was uh, an impressive conversation.
2: Uh, Fitz, I know you've been, uh, high on deny as well, ever since his, uh, commitment, uh, You know, a couple years ago, I guess, where do you view him on this track as far as uh, and his importance to the defense next year with those guys going to the NFL and, and really the conversation surrounding everyone's presuming he's going to be the next guy, but he's got to go out and do it. So I guess how do you feel about his his timeline heading into a very important season for him and for Penn State?
1: Yeah, it's time for a star turn there, I think. Um, He's a really, really dependable player, but taking it to the next level as a chop or a did next year is a different story at that position because that position is so important. The position is not going to see, I mean, it's going to have a rotation next year, but it's, it's going to be a little bit different than what we saw this year with, uh, with throwing Adisa and chop out there and, and just like sort of feasting. Like, I think it might be, we might just see a bit of a transition. You don't have that quick, quick twitch guy. Maybe Jamil Lyons will be that guy, um, but you don't have that, sprinter on the end i think right. uh that that you used to have so uh i think i mean van is a very good player i think zariah fisher can be a very good player i think lions will eventually be a very good player um but you know that there's going to be some sort of drop off there because those guys that are leaving were so freaking awesome so um i'm excited to see what happens from from deny himself i mean this is a guy that i always i've always viewed as a five-star prospect like i've always viewed as him even if he wasn't the quick twitch um you know, guy that's gonna blow up the combine in a year or whatever. Um, he is a guy that has been just a, a solid to spectacular football player. On a consistent basis, like throughout high school, through all, and I know he had some injuries and things like that. So I am very excited to see what I would consider his star turn this year. Um, and it's and uh, it, it's tough to come by. Like we uh, we know that these guys have such high expectations, and uh, with that highest, those high expectations comes the attention from offensive coordinators, from guys that are scheming up game plans, and that's going to cut into numbers. I mean, you look at uh, Chop Robinson's sack numbers this year maybe don't align with what you saw with him as a player from a down to down basis. So like there, there are things that he's going to have to deal with from that cycle. Um, but yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's got as much potential to make that jump as anybody. Um, and, and what I like about it is it's not going to be a Jason away. He's going to make that jump because he's more athletic than everyone else. No, he's going to make that jump because he's a really good football player and knows what to do, knows what spots to put himself in. They know, you know, Dion Barnes knows with where he's going to be used at his best uh, in his best options. So I just think that there's so much going for him. This offseason into next season that it's a, it's tough to bet against a guy like Denai, especially the way that he has approached it. I mean, you yep. you talk about a business like type guy. This guy has been that way since he was a sophomore in high school. Like this is a, a situation where he is doing everything to get where he needs to get and to get where he needs to get is probably the 2025 NFL draft. So like everything is done with a purpose with him.
2: So uh, this is not me shilling for Bruce. I just think it's really important that to point out he is doing the little and extra things as well, like working on his hands and working on being what you just said, a really good football player, because, uh, you know, height, weight, speed is paramount in football and your abilities are determined by genetics right but there's more than one way to be great at football like you can have guys that do things differently at defensive end and win in different ways like the ability to shed blocks and to beat your offensive linemen uh in your one-on-ones and this is something he talked about with nate is consistently winning that's what chop did he did it with his hands he did with speed to power but you don't have to do speed there are different ways to win and and deny i think has consistently shown an awareness of that and i think that that's really what you're going to be banking on with him is just that as you mentioned fits that development that maturity as a football player um nate any last things you want to clean up uh, and talk about that that you spoke with him about that you thought were interesting from the article which by the way check out at (sighs) bluewhiteillustrated.com
0: No, not really. It, it was good. He was good. I just, you know, these guys all have an opportunity after the season to be kind of retrospective or introspective, I should say uh, on, on progress made. And I think he's got a nice balance of understanding that, I mean, he's done some things really, really well. Right. And, and even the, even the narrative of, Oh, this is your turn. He he split reps more or less, right? I mean he 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 more or less was a starter this year anyway, and so it's just it, like I said, it's not it's not some leap as much as it is just this is the next step. This is this is the progression for him uh, into kind of taking hold uh, of, of that position.
2: And it's uh, one that I think is going to be interesting to see how teams approach this defense without Manny Diaz. You know that personality of the defense also led to quarterbacks getting the ball the hell out of their hand so we'll see all those things are going to factor into not just you know what he does but also how teams treat him like Fitz talked about um I am excited for this guys I think we got a great mailbag and I want to get to it now so that we have a chance to get as many of these questions on the show as possible so here we go it's the BWI mailbag We're never far from a conversation about wide receivers. Just this offseason, that's where it's going to be. But this one, I think, is asked in an interesting and unique way. So that's why I wanted to lead the show with it. So Gitney over at the Blue White Illustrated message board says, Andy Kotlinicki is known for making his offense work with the pieces he has. Who is the biggest unused piece from 2023 that might make an impact now in the new situation? Fitz, we're going to start with you. What are your thoughts on who is an underutilized piece or a piece that might just take a step this year?
1: I mean, that, that's a good question because when I thought about this, I was like, well, they used a lot of the pieces last year. They just didn't work. Yeah. Um, so I I'm very curious to see what's going to happen, but I think the one guy that I keep going back to is Amari Evans. Um, you've got that speed, like that speed is undeniable. How do you use it? How do you harness it? Does that work with, um, you know, as a guy, that's like a jet sweep type option guy? Is it a guy that you just run down the field? Like you need to harness some sort of speed. And I think Kansas did a very good job with that. Not only North, South, but also East West. And uh, I think that that's the guy that probably more than anybody you just looked at during the, uh, during the year such time and said, where is this guy? And, He's got to, he's got to do things on his own. Like he's got to take care of business uh, on the practice field. He's got to take care of business just like uh, just everywhere um, to get where he needs to get. There's a reason why he, there are reasons why he didn't play. It's not a situation, but, but he has that talent. He has that ability to be a missing piece because number one, he was so missing, like he was milk carton missing. Um, and number two, you, you've seen the speed and you've seen it work out. So hopefully, you can find a way to to, to use Amari Evans. I think he's he's got a talent, um, but uh, it's go, it's going to be very interesting to see the way that they will end up deploying him.
2: I, I, the other thing that I think is interesting is just his personality. The more we've gotten to know it, physical dude. Not only fast the the pass interference stuff the OPI uh, is a bit of a problem but you love the physicality he's playing with I just I thought that's an interesting combination of two things Nate uh, who do you think is an underutilized piece in uh, the offense that might take a step
0: honestly Penn State didn't use Julian Fleming at all last year you were just the worst <laughs> so I mean really yeah so uh, no I look Caden is obviously a guy that. Uh, Right. What do you do with them? Right. I I don't don't know. Look, when I think back on last year, uh, the the comments from Franklin, uh, again, paraphrasing, but effectively saying we've got to stop fixating on what guys can't do and turn our attention to utilize what they can do. Caden feels to me like that's who he's talking about, right? And Omari, but but kind of both of those guys in terms of what, what are their liabilities, what are their vulnerabilities, of which I think it's probably fair to say there are many based on Penn State's evaluation of them in practice, right? The things that they see in practice, the consistency that they see in practice, all, all of those things. And yet at the same time, Saunders is a guy who produced when he had opportunities, not, not all the time, but in games he showed up, maybe, maybe he's one of those guys. I don't know. Um, You know, certainly I think that this is a situation where Penn state would again, like to see him take some significant strides uh, this off season. Right. I mean, these Mm -hmm. are the months that again, like this is when it gets done. This is how you set yourself up to be more of a factor by demonstrating and proving that you're serious about this and that you, you you're, going to take those strides so you know uh it's just it's just a question to me of is is there a ceiling on what saunders can do versus no there there isn't um he he just has to have that time to develop into that player i'm
2: gonna go just quickly uh, a little off the beaten path and talk about something that i think was a limiting factor by the end of the season and penn state basically ran two offensive run blocking systems inside zone and outside zone In the years before, they had done a little, like 2022, they had a diverse set of what they could run. They could run counter, pitch, pull. They ran a little bit of power. Um, So pull blocking from the offensive line is something they basically didn't do last year. Part of that is the tight ends did not block well. So a lot of those situations, you're, you're pulling a tight end or the tight end has to set a block for, and check out T Frank's film room from this past year of all the times they didn't set a block for a pin and pull to get Nick Singleton out into space. So I think there might be even a little bit of Sal Wormley was underused, utilized where 2022, he was decent at pulling 2023. He basically didn't do that. And then what, did Vega, what is Vega Ioane's ability to do in that situation as well? So I guess that's that to me, the offensive run blocking and, and using some of those guys, their athleticism, do they even have it? What do we get from them with uh, Andy Nicki? Is there more diversity in the run game? I think those are some things that uh, might be able to help going forward. This so you're one.
1: saying you thought of an answer before, since we talked about this in the pre-show?
2: Yes, yes, I did. I just he was I going sat to say Trey Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> I was because he was injured, and he's also, you know, he is the he's the version of Amari Evans that Penn State presumably already has, where they trust him to be out there. He's explosive. He's the downfield guy. He's a contested catch theoretically guy that can jump, but we haven't seen it, so it's underutilized. Yeah. So, but yeah, run blocking is more interesting then the dude was injured <laughs> always. Yeah. Uh, red shirt development is our next conversation point. Poncho 570 asks from the class of 2023 that red shirted this past season. Are you, who are you looking forward to seeing most during year two from a progression standpoint? Fitz coming back to you, who are you looking for in this conversation?
1: Right in the wheelhouse. I appreciate the question. Um, after the peach bowl, Anthony Donka. Uh, is a guy that I'm very intrigued in watching because came in played guard last year, um, you know, talked about him moving out to tackle, did so in the Peach Bowl, held up and and did a good job. Does he take that step from good as a freshman to actually good? We don't know yet, but he's got the ability to do so. I think so. Um, he's he's a big, just a naturally big kid um, that can move pretty well. And uh, you, you ask – people about that class of 2023 on the offensive line. And that was the guy that was like, Hey, if he hits, he can be the best. I know Javon Williams was a five-star and I still think he's going to be a good player here, but like Donka had these little intangibles that people that know what they're looking at really, really appreciated. So um, I will say Donka there Um, I'm going to move on to Andrew Rappelier. Again, a situation where you've got Tyler Warren coming back. You've got Khalil Dinkins coming back. Um, Is he a third tight end? Does he, take that leap to be a second tight end. I don't know, but uh, I'm very excited about his future. And then on defense, a lot of talk um, toward the end of the season was Kevion Keys, um, a guy that, uh, you know, I'm not sure how he works into the rotation this year because you're, you know, you're sitting pretty well at linebacker right now. But every time that we checked in over the latter portion of the season, Hey, who's uh, you know who's who's redshirting that's doing really well right now? Well, Keys is is going to be a player here, so yeah, excited to see what he's going to do, even if it's just on special teams and in a supplementary role at uh, at linebacker.
2: Lambda says King Mac. So I'm going to give him Lambda, uh, Lambda King Mac. He says could be a key for Tom Allen's defense. I think that's a great answer. I think that's a guy that we saw early in the year and then didn't see as much uh, down the line after he, the he red didn't shirt.
1: redshirt, shirt. So he was kind of ineligible for this question, but I'm, yeah, yeah I was going to say that's not,
0: that's not fair. <laughs> that doesn't count. Uh, Nate, what about you? Tony Rojas. If that's the, <laughs> <laughs> if those are the parameters, if we could change the rules, then Tony Rojas, uh, He's a guy who's, I mean, he's going to play. Do I, can I, do I have to change? I'll change. You know,
2: if you don't want to, you, you, you never play by the rules, Nate. That's true. Yeah, you gonna never go play the, the game correctly. So right. do it, do what you will.
0: Well, look, uh, I'm going to go with Tony Ross. But then of, <laughs> of the Richards, I, I, it's funny just because it's the position, right? But Jackson Smollett is very intriguing based on the splash that he made last year. I, I just think that. Uh if the opportunity were to arise, and I don't know how it would without uh you, you know, obviously something unfortunate happening uh above him on the depth chart, but he, he's a guy that I'm interested to see.
2: Yeah. I'm gonna go Dakari Nelson. Um, I don't know, at six three, two twenty, and this is a fact finding mission about what has he become in the Penn State weight program. Did he is he still as fast as he was? Because you know. He told me here on this show a uh, year and a half ago that he ran in the four fours in high school. What's the reality of that at two twenty? Uh, is what he's listed right now uh, on the roster. So is he a slot safety? Is he a pure safety? Is he going to be a linebacker? I'm just, I want to know more because we we don't have a ton of, uh, you know, we didn't get to see him a whole lot last year. One guy that I do want to ask Fitz, I want to ask you about this guy. And again, doesn't play into the game here, but I'm just curious. We talked about him a little bit earlier, Jameel Lyons. What sort of athletic scale do you put him on? Because personally, you know, I'm still learning, even though we had some some film of him and some reps of him last year. I'm still trying to get a beat on exactly what type of player he is seeing him in some pass rushing situations. I know you were very high on him coming out of, uh, um, out of Philadelphia. So, so where, where would you put him on like an athleticism scale for that defensive end position?
1: I think he's more athletic than deny. Um, and, and but that's not a slight at deny. I mean, he's, this kid has some pop to him. Like he's been a guy that, he, you know, Penn State was kind of, I don't want to say lukewarm on him to start, but like his academic situation made it as such where they had to, you know, make sure that everything checked out. Like you've got to be, because <laughs> uh, I tell the story about Abdul Carter, because Penn State was kind of lukewarm on, a, on Abdul Carter. And then they got him in camp and all of a sudden his GPA just went through the roof after they watched him test. It was crazy. Yep. Lions is kind of that same way. Like he's a really, really athletic kid and he's continued to, as he's added size, like keep that athleticism, keep that pop off the edge. So um, in terms of numbers, I, I don't have numbers off the top of my head, but he's a, he's a very athletic guy with that frame. That is kind of ridiculous. Like you stand beside him and he's a, he's one of those guys that, you know, big guy myself, I, I this is a big guy to me. Like this is definitely uh you know, a big, a big kid essentially since he's still a freshman, but uh, now he's, he's got a lot working for him in terms of that. It's, it's about harnessing it still incredibly raw coming out of high school in terms yeah. of, hand fighting in terms of everything he could use some time with bruce absolutely um but when he puts it together if he puts it together which it looks like he's heading in that direction like there's there's some freakish at like people have thrown the freak word around about him then that's usually only reserved for one or two guys at class
2: yeah and that's kind of what i was curious about because very raw on film and i don't remember if there were any hard testing numbers that i saw so i was curious about you know just generally that and Hearing that part, I think that's important for Penn State to have the next freak uh, developing behind the scenes, so that he's ready to go uh, when his his number is called. And, and that's and, that doesn't happen right when you need it to happen. It happens before.
1: And and he showed up on campus in the summer, I believe. And you know, Dakari Nelson as well. Like the the guys that uh, are going to use January and February as their first true like throwing them to the wolves in terms of strength program. Mm-hmm. They might look like different guys coming out. So I'm I'm very excited to see what that that transition goes like for, for January and February for those, those two specifically. Penn
2: State is not a transfer portal school. They are a development school, as James Franklin said last year. And again, here we are back to the receiver conversation. Losi's mustache says, So as of now, the presumed starting lineup, this is, you know, just kind of based on what we would assume right now. Julian Fleming, Trey Wallace, Keanu Lambert Smith are the starting three. Who on the roster, if anyone, can develop a challenge for a starting spot or at least solidify the fourth wide receiver spot? Nate, I'm going to come to you uh, on this one to start. Do you have any thoughts about who that might be based on what you've seen or some of
0: the things you may know? Ooh, uh I can't say it based on what I've seen, right? I, I don't know that we've seen it. Um, yeah. That's it's kind of like to, to me, Liam Clifford is the... Um, he's he should be the best betting odds, right? Like he's he, he 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 has he's done enough to be consistent enough to be reliable to the point that he was a fill in, right? I mean he he played early mm-hmm. in the season. I mean I, I think that certainly there is a top end for him in terms of how far he can go, how much he can propel you. But for the time being, it's going to be about whether or not those other guys that you just mentioned, Omari, Caden, um, Ivy, can elevate themselves. And, and I, don't know, I don't know that there's an answer to that. But Omari is, the, to me, the easy answer if, in terms of guys that, that you would think would be positioned to do that. He's done it. He did it in terms of – it's just funny how these things work. Like Omari did it in the last week and a half of spring practice, and it set up the entirety of the summer for yeah. us to have this conversation about him sneaking in as a potential guy, right? A, a, a guy who would play for them and be a mm-hmm. big factor. And certainly injuries came into play, but it's a, it's you have to it's it's possible to flash for two weeks and then lose it and that like and not be able to sustain that and so it's just it's just a big deal uh to be able to get those guys to carry through the work that they do in April into May, June, July. Fitz um
2: what do you got on receivers being wide receiver 4?
1: Yeah, I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew on this <laughs> one. Um I agree that 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 Clifford probably has the shortest amount of ground to cover to get there in terms of because what he is is what he is and so what he's going to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very interested in Malik McLean um, because mm-hmm. like Nate mentioned, he looked good West Virginia game then all of a sudden went away. Like he, you can't, you, you, you can't have this little line graph where you're up and down and up and down. And you know, it didn't always go back up with some of these guys. So I, I, I wish I knew, I wish I could give you some better information on that, but like this is a drastic off for those guys. Um, we're going to see what happens. I mean, maybe you throw Anthony Ivy in there. Like it's is uh, yep. a guy that uh, has development left ahead of him. So yeah, man, it's going to come down to consistency. And I know that's not what people want to hear, but like, we can't, we can't handicap this one in January.
2: I also think it has and this is the part unknown about the starting three as well as what's their level of consistency we expect those guys to be the starters because uh Penn State put them out there last year as as the starters and they went and got Julian Fleming as a veteran to come in and be a veteran presence but their level of stability their level of consistency um and then it becomes who's going to be rotated in and out so is it Trey Wallace is Keander Lambert Smith in the slot. And then he plays out wide when they go to 12. There's some of those questions you have to answer there. So then what's the opportunity and at what position and all these guys play all these positions, but you have a primary spot. So I like your answer, M- Malik McLean, because I think on the outside, there are more opportunities, right? Because Keandre Lambert-Smith seems to be, like, at least last year, that was the plan is putting him in the slot. So that seems to be a hard place for guys to, to break through, given how the glut of slot receivers. So Ivy and McLean would be the, the guys I would be looking at. I like those answers, too. Um, let's go to this. Actually, we're going to skip this question and go to uh, go to Saikin here. And let me find it here, because I'm uh, doing a bit of an audible. So he asks... Do the PSU analysts watch film of NFL games as well as college to see trends by the best in the business? Uh, Fitz, do, is this something that happens in the off season of studying best practices to find new things?
1: Yes, absolutely. They, they study film. They go, uh, not maybe not the analysts themselves, but they go, you know, Manny and, and James went to... New England last year to t- to take a away- take a look at the Belichick stuff. You know, there's there's all the stuff that they tr- they study in the NFL to to make themselves better. And you have to understand about these analysts, like they don't have to recruit, so they are football guys doing football things. So you're gonna find some guys that actually like being you know away from that spotlight, away from the uh, the assistant, uh, the guy on the field that has to make the calls and the guy that has to handle the substitutions and everything like that. Um, i'm not saying it's a cushy job because there's a lot of work that's involved in it but yes they get to football all the time and for some of these guys that's all they ever want to do
2: yeah and and uh, it's fun it's fun studying all of these things uh, we're going to get to a conversation about six offensive linemen that if you want to talk about every coach steals from every other coach these trends that go in college and the nfl it is this is what this is when it happens where it, this a lot of these seeds for next year are planted as far as stealing ideas and best practices i mean you can even see it happen in season NFL team stealing the T formation from Penn State. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nate, I want to come to you with a different question. I don't know if we necessarily have the answer to it, but Doug W donated the channel and I want to make sure he gets his time in the sun today. Appreciate that. Uh, You don't have to donate to the channel to get a question on, but I appreciate you doing that. Good morning, all. He says, is there any truth to the rumor that the West Virginia game is moving to Thursday? Penn State playing uh, at West Virginia this upcoming season. Makes sense from a West Virginia perspective in order to eliminate Penn State fans. Uh, At the game to limit the number of uh, fans that travel. Nate, is there anything? Is there any of this stuff that you've heard
0: or seen? Yes, there okay. is. There is truth that that is a rumor. Uh, okay. Perfect. <laughs> is it? Is it solidified? Uh, not to my knowledge, but um, am I aware of that as a possibility? Yes. Yeah, I think I think that is uh, safe to say. I. I mean, in terms of. I haven't gone down the rabbit hole of reasoning. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't it, – it's interesting. And I've, I've never really had um, a conversation to this end. And I can't remember Franklin ever talking about it publicly, whether or not he sees a benefit, right? I mean, the 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 road game – that was a Thursday yeah. night at Purdue. Well, well, that's what I'm saying is did yeah. he – did they view that as a benefit? I know that he didn't think – obviously – that they didn't like, uh, starting on the big, Ten, on the road in the big 10. I know right. that that really, obviously, you pick, yeah, that I know. Believe <laughs> <me. You>. well, <laughs> read between the lines. Um, you know, so, so obviously that was not a great thing, but I'm, I'm curious just based on the notion of it, it starts your preseason camp earlier than everybody else, mm-hmm. and it gives you a longer week for week two. Um yeah. in which is you know cleaning
1: up from week one to week two, you would think that there would be some benefit there. So um I, I know he talked about it because he said like essentially like they wouldn't be up for moving any game except the season opener. Now, granted, okay. you, they ended up doing that for Michigan State game this year, but right. they, they would do it for the season opener because of the reasons that you mentioned with camp, but also because it gives you a chance from week one to week two where you make that the biggest growth that you, you know, seem to make, like it gives you an extra time. Uh, you can get out and scout. Um, do, you can go on the road and, and do some things and and teams that are able to play earlier are able to go on the road earlier. So I think there is benefits to it. So it makes sense. I don't, I don't think it's a situation where as the question asks that, that it limits Penn State fans from attending. I, I mean, this is TV, right? Like right. this is where, yeah. this is where this comes in is, is, is where do you get the most exposure and how, how does that game work out? And I tell you what, West Virginia Penn state on a Thursday night is pretty appealing to a general consumer of college football.
2: And for a team that isn't going to draw against the other teams on Saturday, necessarily the same way. So West Virginia in a primetime spot, you know, not to, not to get into the classism of football, but there are high tier teams and there are teams that need to play on Thursday to draw that primetime audience and the matchup, super appealing. So I, well, I, I and think the other I thing, yeah, there. the
1: other thing, West Virginia fans doesn't matter if the game's on Tuesday at one, a, at one in the one AM, like they're going to be drinking before the game. They're going to be enjoying the game. <laughs> yes. Penn state fans are also in that mix. Um. So you put it on Thursday. I don't think it limits fan fandom at all. And I think there's probably going to be a, a lot of Penn state fans given, you know, it's pr- proximity to Penn state, Pittsburgh, all that kind of stuff that are going to go to the, go to go to Morgantown, even if they don't have a ticket.
2: Yeah. And uh, that's what PTO is for to take Friday off. Uh, This question coming back to this one from Caesar, he says, Hey, T Frank in the Kansas City Buffalo game on Sunday. Sorry to make you relive it. That's fine. I noticed the bills frequently using a six offensive lineman with great success. And of course, Michigan did the same. Do you know if Andy Kolonicki has used this wrinkle in the past? Looking back at uh, his time at Kansas? No almost never and i imagine if i go in and i look beyond the data at the actual film it's mostly goal line situations but this kind of goes back to Psychim's question which is why i wanted to put it first of this is uh an a natural evolution of what's been going on in college in the nfl talking about trying to run the ball get explosive runs and set it up by formation and scheme so It's not just the six offensive linemen. It's these big condensed formations. Teams tried to do it initially with wide receivers, putting them super close to the line of scrimmage, and this happens in the NFL all the time. You get these big formations, tight ends and, and receivers close to the line of scrimmage, and then you try and bounce the ball to the outside because at that point, if your plan goes according to the way you want it to, you've got a corner who's usually in contain. He's the last line of defense. He's forced to cover a gap. And you got the running back against the, the wide receiver in one-on-one. The problem is receivers make a mess of run blocking. They, they When you add them in, I've seen in the NFL teams actually adding on receivers into zone blocking where they're picking up a defensive end. It's ridiculous. So Buffalo had done this in the past. Gabe Davis was their receiver that they would drop in and would block. He didn't play, so they went, instead of doing two tight ends or putting Khalil Shakir in there, somebody who is sucks at run blocking, for a better uh, use of the term, they went with David Edwards, their sixth offensive lineman. And this is kind of the same idea of you're just extending the gaps and forcing some of these small players into these uh, situations where they have to defend, but you're taking bad blockers out and putting good blockers in. My problem is it limits your offense in general. So, like, you're taking in an eligible receiver off the field, and I think that's, to me, that's a problem in terms of your holistic sense of your offense. Penn State, get your tight ends to block better, and those guys are a dual threat, and you don't have to worry about bringing in a six offensive lineman. So, to me, that's the better solve, but if you want to go six offensive linemen as a sub package, I don't think that there's, it's the worst thing in the world. Uh, Fitz, it, it, I sorry, I thought Fitz had something to say there.
1: No, I was pointing at you when you said the blocker sucked. That was, uh, and I actually got it wrong because I pointed the other direction. I told you this reverse mirror thing is hard, so yeah. it was uh, that guy that said that the blocker sucked. And also, I'm still worried about tight. End. I'm still worried about tight end blocking with Penn State. So yeah, I'll leave it at that
0: yeah. Uh,
2: let's go to somebody who I think we all think is going to be very good at blocking, and that is Cooper Cousins. Uh, H-O-H-M-A-D-W-1978 78 says, Cooper Cousins, one of the most versatile linemen to commit in a number of years. What position do you see him ending up on the offensive line? Fitz, uh, do, you, do you have a thought here?
1: Thank you for saying ending up on the offensive line, because I think he's going to be a center in the long run. I don't know what he's going to be this spring, but I think he's going to be a center uh, for, of the future because I think he's really good, and I think he's going to be very tough to pass up on the interior. But also, he's got those long arms. He's got the frame. He's got the uh, the physical ability to play right away, so I can see them testing him on uh, at, at tackle in spring. I think it's going to become a situation where you find the quickest route to the field. Um, we're still working through center um, with uh, with pre-spring ball stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see where he's at in the spring, but I, I long-term, I think he's a center. I think he's a good one. I think he's one of the best that they've brought in. And he's, uh, I think he's going to be on that Connor McGovern track where he's, uh, he can, you can play him anywhere, but he's going to ev- eventually go back inside. I know McGovern ended up at guard obviously, but yeah. uh, that was the plan all along for him to be the center of the future. So we'll see whatever he fits in best. I think he's a really good offensive line.
2: This is something I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about tackles to, to start the show. And one of the, one of the, Uh, styles of doing this that I like is you got to tackle and Alabama does this all the time when they get five and high four stars where he starts at guard it's a little bit easier to get on the field at guard center you gotta learn the entire like blocking schemes that's a lot to ask of a freshman but at guard could you see a path where maybe guys are shuffling around on the interior and maybe he's not a tackle for Penn State but he sees the field early in that situation maybe at guard
1: yeah, you can see that. I mean, it's it like I said, this is a rare guy that can play all five. So it's uh it's a situation that finds his quickest path to the field, and you don't ever to often say that about offensive linemen. Um, but, uh, but I think this guy is is a little bit different in terms of that, and he's still going to have to get here and you know fit in athletically and do all the the weight room stuff and see if he's as strong as they think he was coming in because there's a difference between. The guy that you think that you're getting and the guy that you get, you look at, you know, we were talking about Berkmeyer a year ago as as that potential guy and he didn't play in a game. So like offensive line, very, very hard to uh, to to project. Um, This one seems about as safe as they come. But as what does that mean? I have no idea.
2: (laughs) Right. I I think that's a that's a great way to phrase that. Nate, the offensive line in general. um, I'm just curious your thoughts of how things. Seen to you heading into the spring. What are you interested in? What, what positions, I guess, pique your interest as far as, uh, what the Nittany lines have going on up front,
0: uh, tackle and center. Right. Uh, post Olu. How do you, yes. Yeah. Those are, (laughs) those are two positions. Ah, Well, they are three positions. Um, you know, is, is Shelton a lock for left tackle? That's, that's probably where you have to start. Uh, you know, where does, uh, Ruchi fit in, where, where does, right? What is his, um, what is his path? What is his trajectory? Mm-hmm. Donko obviously. And then what do you do at center is, uh, is it a one for one where Nick Dawkins has an opportunity and, and fills in there? Or do you, do you slide somebody around? Is there right? You got Vega, mm-hmm. uh, is Sal a possibility there? I mean, Sal's played all but one snap over the last two years, uh, there at right guard. Yeah, So, you know, I, am not sure what the flexibility is there, but certainly it would seem like there's, um, a lot of options to, to, to work with. And that's, that's what this is about, right? That's Mm -hmm. what this, this whole time of the year is, is about figuring out is it's not, um, it's not, it's, you don't want to limit yourself, right? Right. You you don't want to, you don't want to limit your possibilities, uh, at this time of year, you want to, you want to figure out what the combinations are that work and, go with, go with the best guys and develop a plan and move forward with it. Are you starting at center and
2: then working your way out? Not including the tackles kind of on the interior conversation. I, I, this is something I've been thinking about recently is like, is that where you're starting is figure out center and then guard will work itself out. And, and is that something you could see, as you mentioned, like a lot of combinations this spring?
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe because anybody that can play center that it seems to me, anybody that can play center right. can play guard mm-hmm. for, for this team um, Dawkins actually had, a, I, I didn't realize it he had a decent number of reps uh, at guard this past season. So, you know, I, figure that out, Fig- figure out who you, who you got at center. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an important, it's an important spot uh, on the field. I mean, just you guys know it's that more than I do, but it's, you want strong leaders there. You want strong personalities. You want, you want guys that can hold that spot down. Um, I'm just not sure who that is at this point for the Penn State team.
1: Yeah. It's squares and rectangles with center and guard. Um, it's definitely not, uh, you know, a hundred percent, but all centers can be guards. Not all guards can be centers is the way that I look at it, but all guards are going to snap. Like they're going to do that in practice. So that mm-hmm. if you need to throw somebody in there, somebody gets hurt, uh, somebody comes out, I know Phil doesn't like to say somebody gets hurt. It's somebody like uh loses a buckle on their helmet or something <laughs> like that, and Then they have to come out, then uh then you can throw somebody in there at center. So that's where I'm at yeah. oh, you got the peach bowl uh watering can there, Nate. It's nice, it's tasty. <laughs> go Very good.
2: I imagine that uh um JB Nelson lost so much of his, the buckle on his helmet that he had to like get on a cart and go find it somewhere else yeah. this year. He's that got was a big that head, a big point. helmet.
1: It's it's tough to tough to figure out. Uh coming back to you, at the hospital.
2: <laughs> Fitz coming back to you on this one. Isn't that funny. Uh this is we are 8286. Says many Penn state fans are excited about uh the young tight end Andrew Rappelier. Do you see a path where he's a good he uh, sees a good number of snaps this year in Andy Kodolneki's offense? Um it seems he may have had two QBs in the game. Two running backs before having two tight ends at Kansas. So, Fitz, do you think there's a path for Andrew Rapellier to see the field?
1: KYP, know your personnel, know what you're working with. Uh, he's Andy is a smart guy. Um, he knows what he has at tight end. Um, you saw, and this was not him calling it in the bowl game, but you saw Khalil Dinkins playing as a slot receiver in the in in the bowl game. So, they feel that those tight ends can play, and this is a situation where you want to uh, try to maximize those guys. So. I do see him using it, even if there's not much of a precedent. I I understand where the question is coming from, um, from his time at Kansas. um, But I do see him going to that because that is what the rest of the staff is pretty comfortable with.
2: It's also something that they did do. Uh, I was actually digging on this. They used an increasing number of two tight ends throughout their time at uh, Kansas, where just percentage of the total offense it increased from year one to year three. So it's not go. something that they don't do with, you know, as you just said, know your personnel, they might not have been comfortable with running two tight ends to start. Right. Um, next question, we're gonna go to, uh, actually, Fitz coming back to you on this one. This is a, a, a longer question and this is specifically to you. When you talk to these kids, recruits, obviously you wanna see them succeed and do well from a humanistic standpoint, but at the same time, it's your job. It seems like your feelings towards kids may go a step further from this uh, at times and saying you might end up rooting for a certain player, the uh, example Benedict Ume. Is there a certain guy in this class that you can't help but root for a little bit because of his story or who he is as a person?
1: Boy, uh, Ume's a good one. And hopefully he's on the right uh, track for those that missed it, Uh, you know, dealt uh, with cancer this year. And uh, hopefully uh, he's he's supposed to be in the right direction. So hopefully that's the case Um, from the Penn State um, perspective. So looking from where I come from, all these kids, almost exclusively, all these kids stories are different. Like it is not my is a completely different background than I'm at. And I done. I didn't understand it for a long time. And then you get into it and you go to Philly and you check out some of the stuff that you're looking at. I mean, it's just, it is a world away, you know, being from, from my background. So I look at some of these kids and I view it in a different light. And I think it's a great way to word that is yes, I absolutely root for the kids to succeed. I want everybody to succeed um, because most of the kids that Penn State recruits are really good kids. Uh, A couple that jump out to me in this 2024 class, T.A. Cunningham. So this was a kid that was on the radar very early. And then just, I mean, just threw him in a blender, essentially, to, uh, You know, going from Georgia to California, to Florida, back to Georgia. And he is not the prospect that people thought that he would turn into. So I'm watching this from afar, and this is all eh, during the pandemic. And NIL comes through, he goes to Florida, he doesn't play. Um, and you hear his name so much and you're thinking, all right, well, this kid went to to go get money in California. Well, sometimes it's not always the kid, you know, and most of the time it's not always the kid. Um, so Cunningham was a guy I didn't know what to expect. And I called him up the day or two before his commitment picks up the phone. He was awesome. Absolutely. Completely upfront with me starts the conversation to say, Hey, just a heads up. I'm committing to Penn state. I already knew that at that point, but he, he, you know, he's upfront with me. He's great. And we had a great conversation, um, very realistic about his, um, opportunity. You know, the, the stuff around has been written about Andy Staples wrote about it for the athletic a, a while ago, that story's out there, go check it out. I'm not going to rehash it. Um, but everything that was part of his recruitment was kind of, it kind of stunk. Um, but the kid was not that kid. Like there was not a, uh, it was not a situation where he wanted millions of dollars. So he wanted to go to California to do that. It, it's just not, not necessarily the thing. So, um, from talking to TA Cunningham, I developed this I was completely blindsided by the person that he was, the per, the person that I was talking to on the other the other end of the line. So hopefully for his sake um, and for Penn State's sake, um, he develops and, and does some good things, you know, sometimes to, to get away from the wrong people, to get into a situation like Penn State. That's why Penn State, I think, is a special place for some certain for a certain subset of uh, of individuals because you can get away from things you can be far away and you can also develop around like-minded individuals like yourself and that's where you can really blossom so if ta cunningham blossoms i'm not going to be surprised i'm going to be very happy to see it um but uh yeah it was a tough one the other one here um and it's a little bit different is tysir denmark um and i haven't spoken to tysir in a couple years like it was or very early on in his recruitment whatever um, and he's been at a couple of schools, he's had a couple of commitments and things like that, but he's also basically raising his little sister. Like, and that's something not a lot of people know, like there, there is a situation there where he is the male role model for a very young, um, essentially would be a daughter type, but it's was his sister. So he has so many things on his plate as a 17 year old that I could not fathom you know, possibly having, maybe he's 18 now, um, that I cannot possibly, uh, understand And that's the thing that we forget about with a lot of these kids is that they're still kids balancing kid things, but also like real world things. So I'm hoping that Tysir Denmark, that this is the ticket that gets him and his family where they need to be. We've seen it a thousand times, maybe not a thousand times, but we've seen it a bunch of times where, um, this is an opportunity to change the future of your entire family. Yeah. And, uh, Hopefully everything goes about in the right way, but hopefully Tysir Denmark's one of those guys that that gets out and goes with it because uh, we talk about NIL and I think a lot of people are so soured on that because it's, it's, you know, they don't want to see, you know, I, we're not going to get into that, but <laughs> NIL can really change the life of people that you don't think, you just don't think about. So the opportunity for some of these guys to make money uh, on their likeness, to make money the the way that they, you know, are able to now is life changing for a lot of these uh, a lot of these families, and that's that's the generally generally best part of NIL, in my opinion.
2: Nate, I imagine the same is true for you. You interview and you talk to these guys when they're Penn State football players for four years, so that relationship yeah. c- kind of continues. Who are some of the guys that stand out to you that maybe after they move on to the NFL, you're like, I'm rooting <clears> for this dude now that there's no conflict for you to feel any sort of like I have to you know keep a distance or anything like that. Yeah um i think mine would be pretty obvious but <laughs> who 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 for who's, you? who was yours curtis i mean curtis jacobs yeah. came on the show here yeah. he has been just an awesome dude to to talk to to work with and uh you know i always appreciate all the players that take time to talk to us but like when he was asking to come on our show and and was a fan of what we do here i just think he's a very uh thoughtful introspective person i was i was always pleased to work with him so that i mean Can that's I- my
0: answer Can I, can I take this a different direction and not, I, 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 so I'd rather not identify who I
1: root against. Yeah. (laughs) These are the guests.
0: Um, no. So look, there, there is a, there is a side, what Fish just said about NIL is, is so intriguing to me because there's this perception of cars, right? Like for instance, cars, None of these guys. None of these guys own these cars. Okay, those are leases. Those are leases that are pro- provided to these guys, um, usually like a tax write-off. So, in terms of the actual monetary value of somebody driving around a Dodge Charger or whatever it is, uh, it's like ten thousand dollars maybe for the year, right? Ish. Um, there are there are players at Penn State now. Penn State has a program that has solicited and gotten buy-in from donors who have nice houses basically to, to open their houses to players, families, uh right. And to, to, to let players families spend the night because hotels are so expensive in state college, right. That's such a, that's such a, a huge yeah. endeavor. Like people, people just don't understand. And I, I'm not even sure that I like there are parents of Penn state football players. Not, I'm not saying this presently, but in the past, parents of Penn state football players who would drive up for a game, sleep in their car overnight and drive home. (laughs) Right. Like parents, I mean, it's just, it's just the bottom line reality of some of the situations that these people are, are dealing with is it is, it is hard and it is expensive to follow your child playing this sport. Uh, And, and that remains true in NIL. What I think NIL does in a lot of cases, that is just a, a, massive undercurrent that's misunderstood and not broadly acknowledged is a lot of this money ends up going back to the family to be able to defray some of those costs. Like it's just, it's a, it's a huge component to this that, uh, you know, I don't think gets enough credit is, Hey, there, there are very real things that are taken for granted that you would assume as being Like oh well yeah of course of course you're gonna be able to go see your kid play in the Rose Bowl do you know how much a Rose Bowl trip costs like that (laughs) it's it's wildly expensive Ryan from
2: Texas is a guy who follows the show he's a regular contributor and he mentioned the other day in one of his comments it takes it costs him like five K to come in to watch a game flying into state college staying all of those things the 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 time and the resources for families and fans like to to do this is is significant I think you make a great point.
0: And and ultimately, it's why Penn State is so successful recruiting the Northeast, yep. right? Is is having that accessibility, having having your family and friends and support group within a five hour drive. It like it people talk, you hear it, and it goes in one ear and out the other, and it's like ah, oh, well, what you know, whatever. But that's a huge part of of what ends up drawing kids and their families to, to finding Penn state as being the best option in the Northeast. Yeah.
2: Uh, I think that's a great place to end the show. And on a positive note today, I think this is a, like I said, I thought this was an awesome show. A lot of great conversations. Nate, what's coming up from you this week at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com? Give people something to go over to the site and uh, read.
0: You know, I uh, like the deny interview. I have, I have a, a treasure trove, of leftover interview interviews from basically December it's it, yeah. it's it's stupid but we are given all of this media access before the bowl game so basically from the second week of December on that you can't possibly use you can't you can't possibly use all of it uh it's not all hard hitting news and so a lot of the feature side stuff is is what you come back to now that we're in January and we probably won't have let me think about this. We February. probably won't have a player. Yeah, probably, probably in February we'll get yeah. uh, Chuck Losi at some point. We'll, you know, we'll have some of these. They Uh, do the, uh,
2: yeah, get the freshmen from the previous year, rip the bandaid off, let them talk to us. So that's usually around the first week of February, I want to say. So like a pioneer, you've been saving your rations throughout the cold winter months of January. I'm
1: going to, I'm going to ford the river. Let's go. (laughs) Speaking of rations, there was a question in the chat that you missed earlier. So if uh, I'm going to go back up here, Nate, do you have any dinner plans with Mike Rhodes this week?
0: You know, I do not. I will have a chicken basket waiting for him at the podium of our next formal interview. I believe that's Thursday. Uh, old Mike and I will reunite where he can. He can. He can get his comeuppance for getting blown out at Ohio State over the
1: weekend. Jeez,
0: <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's fine. It's
1: Mike likes uh, you. Let's let's put that out there because not everybody will get that. But yes,
0: uh, there, there's
2: a couple there's a couple layers of an inside joke there about uh, Nate Bauer, uh, Penn State's win, a chicken basket. You can check out Mike Rhodes' post game interview after the win. This uh, guy, yeah, burning
0: so. me, killing me. <laughs>
2: Guys, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate all your insight into an offseason and some of the things that are going to be moving in the background for Penn State football. Again, Fitz and I are coming back for the uh, Thursday live show, previewing the next recruiting weekend with Ryan Snyder. Uh, we'll have our regular Wednesday show coming up tomorrow and more features over at bluewhiteillustrated.com. I've got a film room if I ever get it up. i got to go talk to uh, uh, Kale Sanderson this afternoon, so it might not be right away, but we got a film room. Blackheart asked a question about uh the uh, Tom Allen's defense we're featuring that this week from me and these guys got a lot of great stuff coming as well so for each of them I'm Thomas Frank Carr we will talk to you later